we are considering a lot of things in a series of sermons. And um, every week I think I say the same thing. If you're here for the first time, I'm sorry. But even people that have been here for every sermon, I'm sorry. I'm asking questions. Basically, what is my life supposed to look like as a Christian in relation to the law of God, specifically the Ten Commandments? And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do like a survey, brief survey of the state of man, the creation of man, the fall of man, the subsequent responsibilities of man in light of creation in the image of God. Um, The problem with the brief survey is we haven't even gotten to the fall into sin yet. We're still contemplating Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to bleed over a little more today into Genesis 3. That's where the first sin occurred. Um, But we're using the whole Bible to help us look back at Adam and Eve as constituted by their maker in the image of God with the law of God written on their heart, made with true knowledge and original righteousness. These are some of the technical terms I've been using. Um, So we're looking at them, because once we understand that, and then we can look at the fall into sin, and we can determine what happened there, and it helps us understand what the fix has to be. Okay, the the fix. Um, What the last Adam has to be be and do for us. So last week, we began to consider um, the two special Edenic trees. Matter of fact, I think that was the title of the sermon, Adam, Eve, and and the special Edenic trees. It's kind of a weird title. Here it is, somebody announced today, way back, Mother's Day, and I'm preaching on trees. I think trees are more important than me preaching on mothers, at least these trees, okay? Um, The tree of life, you remember that, Genesis 2? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both trees are mentioned um, before and after the fall into sin by Adam and Eve, okay? So they're mentioned before sin, they're mentioned after. They're not just mentioned before sin in Genesis 2 and after in Genesis 3, these trees come up later in Scripture. So if we're going to understand what they are and their function, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're not just going to look at Genesis 1 and 2 and then Genesis 3. We're going to pray that, God, help me understand what these trees are about. It's weird. And the answer to the prayer is then read the Bible because sometimes I pick up on the trees later and it helps you see the initial function of the trees. So that's what we're doing. Last week, I focused on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this week, I'm going to consider the tree of life, and we won't get to the fall into sin. I'm going to read some of Genesis 3. That's the first fall into sin. But next week, we'll concentrate on on Genesis 3. Our study of the special Edenic trees is being conducted to help us understand who Adam and Eve are or were, and what they were responsible for. What were they responsible for? And we're focusing on Adam, you know, because when you read the rest of the Bible, in Adam, all dies. There's something about Adam 
that's unique to him. In Christ, all shall be made alive. There's a first man, there's a second man. There's a first Adam, there's a last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the more we understand the identity and function of Adam, who he is, how he was constituted, made, what he was supposed to do, we know he failed for all of sin and fell short of the glory of God. He fell short of the glory of God, whatever that is. The more we understand him, the more the easier it is to realize what the fix has to be. It has to be not us, because we're sinners. It has to be a sinless son of God who deals with the guilt of Adam's sin and the guilt of others' sin and the lack of righteousness. And this we have in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So understanding who the first Adam is and the, and the first church. Who's the first church? Eve. Remember, I looked, we looked at Adam and Eve as types of Adam, of type, as types of Christ and the church. We did that because Paul tells us uh, that's Paul's method in Ephesians chapter 5. And we saw some unique stuff about the first marriage. What's interesting is Adam... Basically, when he sees her, he, he has the law written on his heart. She's a creaturely thing outside of him. But based on what's in him, original righteousness, he basically says, I got a wife. God didn't have to tell him a lot about Eve. There was a kind of a spontaneous reaction based on using his intellect his ability to look out and interact with a creature in strict accordance with the righteousness of the law that was written on his heart. So we've seen that God is our creator and we are uh, responsible to him. There is a thing called the law of God that all men have, viol have, have violated. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God. All men have what Paul calls the work of the law written on their hearts. Uh, Adam and Eve were created with original righteousness, morally upright. By the way, were they created physically upright? Doesn't really matter, right? Morally upright, that, that's what really matters. And a few sermons ago, I focused on Adam start focusing primarily on Adam because of that language I already referenced. In Adam all die. Through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men. So there's something unique about Adam's violation of the prohibition not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve had her problems, as we'll see next week. Uh, Adam, by the way, was one of Eve's problems. But Adam is the one that... Paul focuses on as a violator of, the, of a prohibition that had massive consequences for the entirety of the human race. Now, two, two weeks ago, we looked at the, uh, oh, we looked at Adam and Eve, I already talked about that. But last week, let me see if I can get caught up in my own brain here. Last week, um, we began looking at the trees. That's right. 
We're looking at the trees, the two trees, the two special trees. So if you have a Bible and you like to turn there, Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, we read this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord, so we have body, soul here. We have material, immaterial. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So he's made outside of this garden in Eden, and then he's placed in it. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Here it is, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So those are the two special Edenic trees that we're focusing on, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now go down to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Okay, so... Here is an extra, an added law, right? This is a prohibition. It's a law from God. You can do this, you can't do this. In addition to what's already within him by virtue of his created status, his original righteousness, the work of the law written on his heart. So this is in addition to his natural state, a law comes that is added to the law of nature. Some of you know that the Technical word for that is positive. This is a positive law. It is a law revealed by God above the law of creation for a specific purpose and function. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. So I made some uh, oops. I made some uh, don't look behind that curtain. General observations prior to the making of Eve, the Lord God commands Adam in a twofold manner, eat freely from any tree except one. Okay, so this is an external no-no, external to himself to his own conscience, to the theater of his own soul. It comes from God after his creation, and once he's placed in the garden, it's a unique prohibition. It's a new law. Revealed in a new manner. Last week we also asked what kind of tree it was, and I concluded, I don't know. I don't think Scripture's clear enough. We also asked the most important question, what is the function of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You remember I presented two views that I think are wrong. The first view I called the rational tree view. The tree of knowledge of good and evil means that the tree is rational, that is, it knows things. You could go over there and say, hey, tree, what do you know? I know good and evil. It's like, no, that's like too cartoonish or Disney or whatever. Trees don't think. So the, that 
view I don't think fits the uh, scripture at all. The tree is rational. The tree knew good and evil. The second view I said I don't think it's right either on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the pharmaceutical or medicinal view. Um, The tree had infused power to produce knowledge in Adam he did not have already. Adam had no idea about good and evil. But if he ate from the tree, he could have an idea about good and evil. Because infused into the tree was a power that if you just take the pill, boom, like the devil says, you'll be like God. Which, by the way, that's the devil speaking through the serpent, not God's own exposition of the function of the tree. That's going to come up next week. It'll probably come up later today, too. The tree had infused power, some think, to produce knowledge in Adam he did not have already. Now that assumes he something that cannot be proved, proven, namely that Adam had no moral compass by virtue of being created in God's image. He had to gain a moral compass, and he could have if he ate from the medicinal pharmaceutical tree. It's like, no, that's not going to work either. So last week, I took the view that um, this prohibition here um, was in the function of the prohibition concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, uh, was what one person called, ex- it was an exploratory law. That is, God is testing his creature made in his image. Will you... Will you rest in your created status and this one external prohibition? Will you rest your soul upon me and my word? And that alone. We, we know what happened. And, and you know what the devil went after. The word of God, what God had revealed to them. Adam was rational. He could reason He could think, and the prohibition about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a test to see if he would use his faculties properly, to see if he would engage with this external creaturely thing and conclude what he ought to conclude about it. Namely, God said no. If I take it, I'm going to violate all ten of the Ten Commandments. Somehow, some way, which we'll get to in, in a while as well. Now, right after they ate from this tree, we read these words. Then, this is Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they knew, that's very important. It must refer to their experience. Not that before then they had no knowledge that they were naked. Can you imagine that? Before sin... Adam and Eve, there's no concept that they were naked at all. But this must refer to um, their experience now. They experienced firsthand what evil is because they committed it. So God judges them. The occasion for this judgment is Adam's taking of the sin, taking of the fruit. 
from his wife and eating it. But it is divine judgment being executed upon the human body and soul, because as soon as that judgment came upon them, that death came upon them, in the day that you shall eat from it, you shall surely die, human nature, body and soul, was judged, changed. God did that, the occasion being the sin of Adam. So an extra creational state or a state of existence different than their created state came upon them by virtue of a judgment from heaven because they broke an external law, which also means they they violated everything inside of them as, as well. The tree, when he took of it, the tree didn't judge them, okay? God did. It's not like they took the, you know, a poison pill. So I didn't take the medicinal view, didn't take the pharmaceutical view, I didn't take the rational view. The tree's function was to test Adam. Now we have another tree we have to get back to. That's the review. Another tree. The other tree, first mentioned tree in Eden, is the tree of life. Then the Lord God, Genesis 2, 7 through 9, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also, in the midst of the garden. This is going to become important later. The tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So tree of life is what we're looking at this week. So I'm going to basically do the same thing I did last week. Make some general observation, ask what kind of a tree it is, and then the really important question, what is in the world is its function? So the general observation, after placing Adam in the garden and before the creation of Eve, the tree of life was caused to grow out of the ground in the midst of the garden. Isn't that, that's that's a fair observation, right? Let me say it again. The tree of life was caused to grow, come up out of the ground in the midst of the garden. Just an observation. What kind of tree was it? I was kidding with my wife on the way here. I said, it was a taco tree. It had tacos on it. Because if you eat tacos, you live forever. That's, that's the pharmaceutical view. I'm going to deny that. I'm going to say, it can't be the pharmaceutical view, but you've got to hang with me, okay? Some of this stuff maybe you haven't thought about before. Usually when people preach on Genesis, there's this tendency just to focus in on the explicit words without using the rest of Scripture to help it. And so you get good stuff, but you don't get the big picture. All the old guys gave you the big picture. I'm trying to give you uh, the big picture. When I'm saying the old guys, I'm saying all the guys from John Gill in the 18th century backwards, okay? They all allowed the whole Bible to shine its light on texts like these to help us. So what is the function of the tree of life? 
Uh, could it be pharmaceutical? I think that's the default view of everybody. The tree of life is pharmaceutical. It's medicinal. If you eat from it, you'll never die. Because you can, you can read Genesis 3, and that's what God pronounces. Uh, he uses those words in the, in the form of the curse. But those words actually came from the serpent. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. First... It's the serpent's lie about the tree. The serpent's not telling the truth about the tree. He's lying about the tree. The serpent's view is that the tree, well, the serpent's lie to Eve was that the tree is it's pharmaceutical. Now, some maintain that it was so-called, the tree of life, effectively because it had an innate power of vivifying Man, or giving a better quality of life to man, like a way better quality of life. That, I, that was a quote from Turretin, who's a 17th century theologian. So, in other words, this view says, it was infused by God with power to give eternal life. If you eat from the taco tree, you get eternal life. You get a quality of life that's actually better than the created status of Adam and Eve before they fell. Because they were created in such a way as they could sin or not sin. You get what the Bible ends up calling eternal life. This view seems to be plausible when we read Genesis 3, 22 24. Listen to these words. This is, this is the curse, okay? So I'm kind of jumping up ahead of myself a little here. But here's the curse, curse language from God. In Genesis 3, 22 to 24, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Sounds pharmaceutical, doesn't it? Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. It sounds medicinal, pharmaceutical. The tree of life had infused power to grant what we call eternal life. A status of creaturely existence where we're unable to sin, unable to be changed, or assumedly, in this case, uh, unable to be changed from being fallen in sin because that's what they were. They were fallen in sin, and these weird words that we read here seem to indicate that, yeah, well, if they fell into sin and they ate from the tree of life, they would, they would never be saved. They would always be guilty and sinful because the tree of life has infused power in it. Okay, that, that's, I'm going to say I don't think that's what these words from the Lord mean because where's the first time you learn about this? They'll become, you'll become like God. Who first spoke those words? Thank you. The pharmaceutical view is satanic. It's the devil's view. 
sorry if you hold that view. You're, you're not of the devil, but um, I'm going to I'm gonna try to scrub you clean of that view. It doesn't work. What's God doing here? He's mocking the devil. You, you, you deceived her by telling her that I said something I didn't say. I didn't say they'd become like me. Those are your words. Anyway, we'll get to that next week. I'll be preaching that after. Well, hopefully I'll be preaching that next week. But based on the mere reading of Genesis 3.22, the pharmaceutical view seems to be plausible. If not, some people would say, no, it's not just plausible. It's impossible to deny. But if the tree of life is pharmaceutical, wouldn't the tree of the knowledge of good and evil be pharmaceutical as well? You know what I mean by that. Medicinal has some sort of infused power to alter the state of the eater's existence. But I, I argued against that view last week, and not just wasn't just my personal argument, okay? I, don't, I try never to say anything new. I only want to be faithful to the old paths. So I, I recreate old language for a new audience, borrowing from old dead guys on my shelf. Oh, could, are both trees medicinal? I, I think neither is. But maybe one of the trees was pharmaceutical, and the other wasn't. That, that's possible, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not pharmaceutical. But the tree of life, it's pharmaceutical. It in itself has infused power by God to cause the eater of its fruit to be transformed. Uh, both could be pharmaceutical, theoretically. One could be, and not the other, theoretically. Or it could be that neither are. And that's what I'm going to try to say. Well, that's what I'm going to say. Neither of the trees were what I'm calling pharmaceutical. One reason I don't think the tree of life was pharmaceutical is this. Okay, let's, let's think. Here we are. We're looking in the garden. We see this tree in the midst of the garden. Uh, we're actually privy to see it come out of the ground. Okay? Uh, somehow, some way, we get the information. That's the tree of life. It's a finite thing. It's a thing that had no being, then got being from the being who gives being, God. So it came into existence, it came out of the ground, so there's development happening. It's a creature, right? There's change happening. Creatures are brought into existence and then change all the time. You know, I've said this before, you just got older. But God doesn't get older, God doesn't change, creatures change. So here's this finite thing, a tree, and it was given... Some sort of power. Now, if it's given power and it's a finite tree, what kind of power was it given? Infinite power? That would be weird. A tree has infinite power. Only God has infinite power. So we have to say created power, finite power. The tree of life. So we're still looking at that tree. So we're, we identify, we go, oh, this is a finite thing. This is a creature. This thing came into being by virtue of God's 
divine, you know, the execution of divine creative power. Um, but the pharmaceutical view says, oh, watch, look, finite power, because the tree's not God, to extend man's life was just infused in the tree, and now that tree has the finite power to alter man's creational state into an extra-creational one that's actually better than his created state. You eat the tree and you get eternal life. God infused finite power into a tree that if Adam ate it, he'd have a better state of existence than his created state. Ew, I don't want... Is anyone following? You get that? That sounds odd to me. But that's the pharmaceutical view. Whether man's creational state can be changed is not a change creatures can produce. And the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Who caused death to come upon Adam and Eve? A creature or God? Ultimately, God. It's divine judgment. God, however, can change creatures, their state of existence, either by virtue of creation, bringing them into existence, judgment, in the day you shall eat from it, you shall surely die, forgiveness, and ultimate eternal life and glory. God can do that. In the day you shall eat from it, you shall surely die. Divine justice altered Adam and Eve's created state upon their sinning. The occasion for this was the eating. The cause of it was not the eating. The change wrought in them was divine power, or we could say justice in execution. So there's one reason I think, I don't think the pharmaceutical view of the tree of life works. There's another reason I don't think the tree of life was uh, pharmaceutical or medicinal, and that is because of how the rest of the Bible evokes it, or calls upon it, or looks back on it. Okay, so we've been concentrating on Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, but, you know, there's Genesis 4 through Revelation 22, and so it might help us to ask the question, does the Bible pick up on the tree of life language elsewhere, Edenic tree of life language, whether pre-fall or post-fall, uh, in terms of Genesis 2 or Genesis 3, does the Bible look back there and bring that concept over in a different context and speak about it? And the answer is yes. Listen to, um, to uh, Turretin again. The tree obtained its name, tree of life, principally by reason of, here's the word, signification. It was a symbol of the immortality which would have been bestowed upon Adam if he had persevered in his first state. Signifying something. It is a sign that signifies something. Not just treeness. You know, if we're there looking at the tree of life, it's, it's a sign signifying not just the fact that it's a real space-extending tree, it is a sign signifying not merely treeness, but something else as well. It's a sign that signifies it is not efficacious and powerful to produce that which it signifies. Something else 
produces that which it signifies. Um, how about Augustine? Let's go back farther. Turton's 17th century, Augustine's 4th, 5th century, North African. He had nourish, excuse me, he had nourishment in other trees. Adam did. In this, the tree of life. However, he had a sacrament. You're going, I, th- I thought we're not Roman Catholics. No, we're not, but we're Catholic small c, and we don't have a problem with old words as long as we define them properly. What does he mean there? He means, he means a tree was a sign signifying something else. You know, it's like the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament. It's a sign signifying something else. Christ and the grace that comes to us. When we take the bread, when we take the wine, they don't have infused extra creational power within them to produce forgiveness of sins and grace in our hearts. They're the occasion for it, but they're not the thing itself. What's the thing itself that's signified by the bread and the wine? Christ. By the way, what do you think, I think, is signified by the tree of life? We'll get to that in a second. So the tree of life was a sign signifying not merely its treeness, but something else as well. Something better, a quality of life the Bible ends up calling eternal life. Listen to Turton again. It was a type of Christ himself who acquired and confers eternal happiness upon us and who is therefore called the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. Where did he get that from? He got it from God. It's Revelation 2.7. Listen to the words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Now, Revelation 2 is um, the interadvental period. That is, our Lord already came. He died. He was buried. He rose. He ascended. And he has not come again yet. Okay? So, it's the between the two comings period. And he says, look. To churches on the earth, if, if, you, if you persevere to the end, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Seems to be some um, intermediate state, that is, if I persevere to the end as a Christian, and our church does, we'll be absent from the body and then present with the Lord, and we'll have some sort of relation with this tree of life which is in the paradise of God even before the eternal state. Now, do you think there's a literal... By the way, I think the paradise of God here refers to heaven, ultimately. Do you think there's a literal, real, space-extending tree in heaven called the tree of life from which believers will eat forever? Don't raise your hand if you think that. Do you think right now, wherever the Lord Jesus is, at the right hand of the Father, in his space-extending real body, still very God and very man, do you think there's a tree there? And when Christians die, they're absent from the body, present with the Lord, they're in the paradise of God, in the midst of the paradise of God, 
And they're going, Jesus, where's the tree? Because that's what I really want. That would be like, uh, no. I don't think there's a space extending tree in the interadvental period in heaven or in the eternal state, which we'll look at in a second. In fact, during the intermediate state, believers don't eat physical food since they don't have physical bodies. Right? If you have a loved one absent from the body, present with the Lord, unless there's some weird kind of heavenly body that you shed later at the resurrection and all that stuff. Revelation 2.7 refers to the source of eternal life, which is not a pharmaceutical tree in glory. What is the source of eternal life for sinners? The tree of life? The answer is no and yes. It's the tree of life. No, not a pharmaceutical uh, you know, tree infused with eschatological powers. What is the source of eternal life for sinners? Does anybody know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or how about this? My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. What's the source of eternal life for sinners? Jesus also said, I am the resurrection and the life, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in a physical tree, his son, that to which the tree ultimately pointed. He who has the son has the life. See how important it is to have the son? You want that kind of life, uh, the quality of life that I has neither seen nor heard, all that the Lord has in store for those who love him? Get into the son. He who does not have the Son of God does not have that quality of life promised to him, eternal life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Who is the source or what is the source of our, uh, uh, eternal life? It is Christ, the mediator between God and man. And he showed me a river of the water of life. This is Revelation 22, 1 and 2. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God. This is a vision about the new creation and its consummation. Coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. That's interesting. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, there's tree of life language again. So it's back there in Genesis 2. It ends up in Genesis 3. It shows up in Revelation 2, and now it shows up in Revelation 22 that's talking about the the, the the, the consummation uh, of the age to come. The consummation. The, uh, yeah, 
You know what I mean, I think. Now, taking these things into consideration, the tree of life was a really existing tree stationed in the Garden of Eden. It was a real thing. But it was a sign signifying a quality of life with which Adam was not created and he fell short of due to his sin and of which our Lord obtained for sinners and offers it to them in the gospel. Now, you're saying, wait a minute, there's a type of Christ before the fall into sin? Yep. Adam, who's a type of him who has to come. Eve, in Genesis 2, according to Paul's use of it in Ephesians 5, ends up being a type of the church prior to the fall into sin. Seeds stuck in the ground by God, coming up out of the ground. It's a type of resurrection, I think. I'm not the first one who thinks that, by the way. So this, this is another one. Let me say it again. The tree was a sign signifying a quality of life with which Adam was not created. Adam was created in such a way that that a better state of existence could have come to him from heaven if he had not sinned, if he had obeyed and passed this probationary period. We have no idea how long it was going to be. He fell short of something because he sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He fell short of whatever this glory of God thing is. We know it's better than his created state, certainly better than his fallen state. In the language of Scripture, our Lord comes and suffers and enters into his glory. He didn't fall short. What's glory? Well, it's what that which was endowed upon the human nature as a reward, human nature of our Lord, as a reward for his obedience, witnessed in the resurrection, declared to be the Son of God with power, Romans 1.4. Adam fell short of that. Our Lord obtained this quality of life, eternal life, by virtue of his obedience. And now the good news, the gospel says this, do you want that kind of life? you got to have Christ. you got to acknowledge yourself as a sinner in need of not just going back to the starting line, but in need of the last Adam who does it all for me and then offers it all to me. And what I need to do is, get, yeah, I'm a sinner. Foul eye to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. God's love for us has been manifested. How? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. The incarnation. You say, well, I don't know if God loves sinners. I'm the bread of heaven. I came down for the life of the world. That which is not assumed is not repaired. He assumed very manhood to repair it and bring it to this future state that's better than the created state, obviously better than the fallen state, but even better than the created state because in the future state of which we taste partially now and then 
in full in the age to come. You can't, you can't, you can, there's no probationary trees there, okay? Pharmaceutical or not. There's no threat of judgment in the eternal state. So as the quality of life that you were experiencing, you're not going to experience because you did a no-no. There's no sinning in the eternal state. You want that quality of life? You get it now and then more when you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. And then ultimately after the resurrection and the inauguration of the eternal state. So that's why I don't think... uh, Two reasons that I don't think the pharmaceutical view of the tree of life works. There's another reason, and this one might surprise you. It's Psalm 1. I'm so disciplined. It's only 10.52. I thought it was like 11.05. I, got, I have a half more hour. No. But look at Psalm 1. It's very interesting. I'm, this will be second ser- sermon. But just to whet the appetite. Somebody already noticed it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who's the first one that did that? Adam. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Who's the first one not to do that? Adam. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Is he talking about you and me? Should we try to do this? Certainly. Are you the blessed man or the blessed woman? Or am I? It better be Jesus. And I think that's exactly who he's talking about. And so in the second sermon, I actually got lazy and stopped typing yesterday because I had this long quote from this book, look at the title, Christ and His Church in the Book of Psalms. He doesn't say, David and all the human emotions of the psalmists, which is a lot of reason, big reason why people in our day tell you to read the psalms. Why? Because all the emotions of life are contained in the psalms. There's some more important in the psalms than learning how to deal with trials. Guess what it is? The tree of life is in the Psalms. The Lord is is there. He's the righteous one. He's the blessed one. We'll look at that um, later. So my conclusion is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. All your sins forgiven. A title to glory, grace and help and strength now. And then quality of life, ultimately, that I just said this before. I can't say it's kind of like. No, it's not. It's way better than that. <laughs> I has not seen, neither has ear heard all that the Lord has in store for those who love him. By the way, for those who love him, it's not like my love must be 
in order to get Christ. How can I get Christ? I've got to love him. How much? Enough. It better be his love for me and not my love for him. Um, is love God with all your heart, soul, or mind, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself? Is that the gospel? It's the law. It's the law, right? Our problem is we're lawbreakers. We haven't loved God, so our love can't get us to Christ. It has to be Christ has to come to us, and it has to be something like soiled faith hands that go up to him and receive what he offers. We don't believe in justification by love. We believe in justification by faith. Faith is the alone instrument through which sinners receive the righteous benefits of Christ. And we're going to sing in light of that. Let's pray. We thank you. Father, for your word, we pray that you'd help us. These are, these are hard things to think through, difficult, but so important to understand. And we pray that gospel light might have shined today, uh, not only into those of us who have already been brought to Christ by the Father, but those still in darkness, that light might shine in that dark place and cause things to be seen and heard with clarity, such that people would be driven to repent of their sins, acknowledge in the presence of God the fact that they're guilty, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Now receive our praise as we sing in response to your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.